Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists who spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, the government announced a crackdown on cosmetic tweakments. Uh, hold on, T- tweakments. Is, is this a speech impediment? No, it's actually an official term. <laughs> Things like Botox and fillers and other non-surgical procedures, right. they want everyone to have a license. Everyone who's offering these procedures should have a license. Right. But we are asking, should the government go one step further and ban some of these cosmetic procedures altogether? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us using the hashtag Medical Minefield or email us at health at mailonsunday.co.uk. So Eve... Would you ever have Botox? Oh, you're asking me this because you know what the answer is. Look, five years ago, the answer would have been absolutely not. I think that the cosmetic surgery industry is damaging and toxic, especially for young women. And I wholeheartedly disagree with it. But what's changed? However... (laughs) <laughs> well, to be honest, I'm only, I mean, I know I am only 30, but I've got older and I've got probably more insecure, maybe, and and less confident. And, and now I think, yeah, if you can get rid of some of the marks that I don't like around my eyes, I'd be all for it. Well, there are a lot of people that say that these treatments are, you know, didn't Simon Cowell famously say that it was just like cleaning your teeth, that it was part of maintenance and having things like Botox to stop your face from having too many expressions or something but then i guess look what happened to him (laughs) yes you go too far clearly well i've heard it being described now as like getting your nails done so it's you know no big deal things like botox and fillers are just seen as a part and parcel of a beauty regimen which is the wrong way to look at it because in fact botox is a prescription medicine derived from botulinum toxin in fact it's such a hugely lethal chemical that it was actually used in and developed for chemical warfare fascinating but also you're having an injection in your face which should never be taken lightly Absolutely. And fillers are something a bit different. They're not a prescription drug. It's a gel. They're all different kinds of gels and they sit beneath the skin much like an implant. So they're classed as implants. They're not drugs. But these things are medical procedures. They can carry with them complications and risks uh, and they aren't to be taken lightly. It isn't like having your nails done. They can leave you with permanent changes to your appearance. However, I would like to say that having reported on this area for decades now, I'm absolutely fascinated by it and I'm completely not against cosmetic surgery at all. In fact, I'd say I'm very for it. That's interesting. Why are you so for it, do you think? Because you've seen it transform people's lives. It can do and not always for the better. I think the first time I ever wrote about cosmetic surgery, it was because of a story that came to me about a botched job. A woman who had had her breasts reduced and she'd had the operation done at one of these big chain clinics Uh, where the surgeon then flew off to his practice in Italy because he only came in for the day to do, you know, extra UK patients. And she was left with nurses tending to her complications as her breasts turned black and basically withered away. Uh, She was left disfigured and feeling terrible about herself Mm. because she... I mean, she had huge boobs Mm. that gave her terrible backache and meant that she felt that she could never fit into her clothes and all Mm. sorts. So she she broke up with her partner, as is often the way, decided that she would give herself something to make herself feel better. Mm. 
And it, well, I mean, it went disastrously wrong. Oh, gosh. What happened in the end? She had to have a mastectomy oh. on one side and was left very stuff. scarred on the other. So about tell me it. again why you think that cosmetic surgery <laughs> should not be banned? Well, she spoke out about it and what she wanted to highlight was the unscrupulous practices that go on in the industry. But they aren't the norm. And many, many people, thousands and thousands of people every year have cosmetic surgery mm. with no complications. And it can transform their lives for the better. People who feel that they hate the nose that they were born with or they hate the chest they were born with or they feel that they've changed. And something that people often say when they have cosmetic surgery for anti-aging or whatever you want to call it purposes is that they look in the mirror one day and they don't feel like they look like themselves anymore. They feel they've lost something in the way they look and having a facelift is a way of regaining that. And of course, you might say we should love ourselves. We yes. shouldn't be image obsessed. Yes. We should love ourselves regardless of how we look. It's not a kind of physical thing to look in the mirror when you get to, you know, 50 or 60 and think, I don't recognise myself. That's not usual. No, but you know exactly what outside. I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you have just told me that something changed and that you looked in the mirror and you felt less confident. That is true. But I'm also aware that there's stuff going on outside my head that is influencing me and that is responsible well, for those Eve you live years. in the world and you know yes sometimes the <laughs> it is what's inside that counts but other people can't see that other people see how we look and scientific study after scientific study has shown that people who are better looking are more accepted they have better jobs they're more highly paid they're more mm. influential in life it's terrible it's the way of the world. We judge many books by their covers. But I wonder if cosmetic surgery wasn't a thing. So if there was a ban and you couldn't tweak your nose here and there and, and maybe get rid of this wrinkle and that wrinkle, other mm. people might have a more realistic view of what a woman, for instance, looks like when she gets to 70. And oh, celebrities, yes. etc. Celebrities. Celebrities lying. Well, exactly. You wouldn't kind of look at, I don't know, the Friends cast, for instance. Well, half of the Friends cast and think wow, they look incredible, I feel terrible about myself. I just think there should be more visual... Disclaimers, disclaimers. Yes, yes. well, because celebrities of all ages lie about their cosmetic procedures. I mean, some of them, it's so outrageously obvious that they've had tweaks or, mm. you know, big operations on certain parts of their bodies, not naming any Kim Kardashian-type names. It's so obvious some of these people have had surgery. It's crazy that they say they haven't. And I want to be a 50-year-old woman and see a 50-year-old woman in the public eye that looks like me. And think well, you can normal. do, but I think that the problem is that these women who lie about their cosmetic procedures, not saying that Kim Kardashian has lied, but, you know, it seems implausible to me that she hasn't had X or Y procedures done on her bum, mm. on her face. Mm. It gives the myth that people naturally look mm. this way forever and ever. You know, Nicole Kidman, just because she does yoga and, and drinks, drinks lots, lots of, of water, water and wears sunblock, <laughs> that somehow her face doesn't age like other night. people's faces. Yeah. We digress slightly. As innovative and interesting it is as an area of medicine, there is a new wave of 
cosmetic enhancements now on offer. And, and they're not to do with making people look younger. They're to do with completely changing the way that people look. And they seem to appeal to a generation who have grown up on Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and filters which change the way that your face looks. And these treatments are designed to mimic those, giving huge lips and, you know, enhanced other features, pulling the eyes up so they look almost like something out of Star Trek. I mean, it's it's nuts. But there are practitioners out there who are offering these things which radically alter the way that young women mainly, mm. uh, but also young men's faces and bodies look and perhaps these operations as well which you know many of these things are operations which are being offered by unscrupulous beauticians who shouldn't be doing these kinds of things really they carry risks and people don't realize when they look at the advert on instagram or tiktok that it's not like having your nails done and that you can end up disfigured and scarred and changed irreversibly or to an extent where it's very complicated to fix And so that's what really needs to be addressed. If people are going to do it, we have to make sure that they are safe. And perhaps even also outlaw certain procedures or certainly say that you have to be a surgeon or highly medically qualified to carry it out. Before we go on, I'd like to first talk to someone that I came into contact with while writing about women who wanted to have their lip fillers reversed. And she had undergone one of these bizarre... Russian lip lifts where they expand the middle of the lip so you look more like a kind of Russian doll, Mm. I suppose. She had tried to have them reduced and found it was extremely difficult. She'd had to undergo multiple very complicated procedures. And of course, there's a lot about people having their lip fillers reduced now because they don't want to have the big blow up look. No, it's not on trend anymore. It's not on trend Mm. anymore. And it's not as easy as as it might look. Mm. We're joined now by Ashley Stobart. She used to work in a cosmetic clinic and she's turned whistleblower. She now runs the Cosmetic Consult Instagram account, helping to promote better patient safety in the sector and warn women about the pitfalls of aesthetic procedures. Ashley, thanks very much for finding time to speak to us. This week we're talking about cosmetic tweakments, injectables, non-invasive treatments. And this is something that's a specialist area of yours. We first started speaking because you had some treatments yourself and you weren't very happy with those and then found that when you went to have them reversed, it, was, it wasn't as easy as you expected. Could you tell me a little bit about that first? So I just think that the whole quick fix, non-surgical lunch hour procedure really doesn't exist, if I'm honest, because anything that you're doing, I mean, if you just look at, for example, the cool sculpting case recently with Linda Evangelista. Oh, yes. And she she had it on her neck, didn't she? And and, and then found that it, you know, her neck got bigger. Everywhere. I listened to a podcast recently and she's suicidal after this she's had three liposuction procedures to try and rectify the problem I had a Russian lip lift whereby filler was injected into my lips and it took over a year to fix and they're they're still not right afterwards yeah yeah how did you feel after you'd had it oh awful just absolutely awful I just felt stupid for doing it and I think that the thing is with cosmetic procedures, people enjoy laughing at people when they go wrong or not quite to plan. And really, at the end of the day, you've gone in thinking that you're doing something that's going to boost your confidence, make you feel better. 
And when it actually does the opposite to someone that clearly cares about how they look, it can be really devastating. Now, Ashley, you used to work for two of the, the biggest cosmetic surgery chains as a patient advisor. Yeah. And it's something mm-hmm. that you came away from it with concerns, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I started in that industry when I was just 21. And I ended up doing that for about eight, nine years. The patient coordinators, as they call them, they're all managed on really strict KPIs. So, for example, the call will come in, say, off a Google ad or off Instagram. Someone searches breast augmentation, Manchester, call will come into the call centre, a salesperson will get you booked into a diary. You'll then go in and see a patient coordinator with no medical background that was me who is trying to get obviously a sale looking back on it now it's like completely unethical and that's why I came away from the industry and I did away with a lot of knowledge but I just feel that the larger groups patients need to be aware that they are not as protected as they are if they just go for surgery directly with the consultant of their choice their pathway is not led by them or the consultant, it's led by the group. And the group overall, again, does not have any medical responsibility in essence. What were some of the things that you were told to sell people that you felt uncomfortable with afterwards? I don't know if this is legal now, but we would, for example, it was a point system for sales, and we would get told to sell late spaces for example, and that could be an operation within the next week or two weeks, three weeks. So if someone had cancelled or a list hadn't filled, obviously the operation had paid for the hospital space and they rent out the theatres for the day. They don't own the hospitals themselves. So we would get told, fill this space, give the patient a discount so that they were utilising as best possible. So real hard sell stuff. Yeah, they were rushing into surgery. People were allowed to get surgery on 0% finance. People who struggle to get finance were allowed to get surgery with really high interest rates. It just didn't feel right. And something else that we've talked about is these new procedures that they they build themselves as non-invasive and a bit like the lip lift. It's modifying the body with with threads threaded under the skin or, you know, other kinds of energy treatments. I mean, tell me a bit about some of those that you've seen recently, because you you sometimes send me uh, you sometimes send me um, Instagram posts and and such like. Yeah, I literally live, eat, sleep, breathe, all of these things and threads were in circulation a good 10 years ago and they actually got banned they got pulled from the market so tell me about the thread lifts explain what the thread lift is first of all okay so the thread lift is whereby they insert a thread and then pull it out a few inches further through the skin and it's supposed to lift they have little hooks in don't they and they they sort of dig underneath the flesh some of the threads are barbed yes so if you think about a fish with scales that's a spiky, it will then drag onto the muscles and the skin and lift. Wow. Now, this will cause scar tissue, and that's why surgeons refuse to see people after they've had thread lifts. Again, it may cost a few hundred pounds. You can have it done in a few hours. You know, it's a quick fix from not taking a week off work to have a facelift, etc. However, in the long run, 
they can really hinder your appearance because it I've seen a patient for example who literally looked like she'd been clawed by a bear because the threads had scarred her and they they form these kind of visible tunnels don't they you can they? see them through the skin is that like right ridges yeah. yeah puckering ridges people have nerve damage from them people have numerous infections from them they work their way out because the body rejects them there's just so many contraindications to mm. getting threads. And we're talking today because there's a new uh, government inquiry in, into the whole sector. They're suggesting that anyone who offers these things should have a licence. I mean, something that you said to me is that you don't think women should have many of these treatments at all, that you warn women now not to do things like Russian lip lifts and thread lifts and such Definitely. like. I mean, do you think they should be banned? I mean, it's never going to happen, unfortunately. It, the The aesthetics industry is wild at the minute it's actually crazy which is very unfortunate because like I said they're preying on people who have these insecurities around their looks it's not very hard to access it's not super expensive you can go pretty much anywhere to get anything done now Instagram is rife with people advertising you can look like this you know in 10 minutes for a few hundred quid I think, yes, the whole industry needs looking at, but I just don't know if it is ever going to happen because they've been saying this for years now. And I know that, for example, threads are only meant to be done in a place licensed with a CQC register. And I don't think patients know that. You can go and get threads at a hair salon, for example. Gosh, God. Ashley, despite everything that you say... Do you still think, because we live in a cruel world that is very looks focused, do you still think that every person, and let's say mainly women, because I'm sure this is a problem that affects mainly women, but also some men, do you think that they should be allowed to and, and be, be you know granted the right to go and have whatever they feel that they want to have to improve their appearance? I honestly think that there needs to be some guidance on this. I think you're right, because the patients need more power and for example a cooling off period perhaps maybe even a psych assessment before having something done in los angeles the world's top surgeons will only see certain patients if they have had a psych report done and it's good news for everyone then isn't it you know the insurers the doctors, the patients. So everything just needs to slow down a bit. It's all too instant. And that whole instant gratification of more, more, more lips, filler, Botox, threads in clinic treatments, it's like it needs to all slow down. So I, I think that a cooling off period terms on psych assessments and just really a more regulated industry for the patient but like you said people do want to look good and they think that by doing these things that that's going to happen it's it's really sad mm. well look thanks so much for finding time to talk to us ashley as ever it's been enlightening no worries 
Ashley's completely right. People have been talking about this for years. In 2013 and 2012, we were reporting on the cosmetic surgery cowboys um, and campaigning for better regulation. There was a huge government inquiry led by Professor Sir Bruce Keogh, which came up with a whole raft of recommendations and various different bodies were set up to improve education and standards. But really, you fast forward to now, and, and as Ashley said, things are wild. You know, you can go and have the most outrageous things done by completely unqualified people. So something really needs to be done at this point. I think the idea of self-regulation or that just by encouraging standards Mm. is going to improve anything it hasn't worked. No, there definitely needs to be a hard and fast rule, I think. And especially given that social media is kind of fueling this, the instant gratification that Ashley was talking about, that, you know, you can go on Instagram and find a whole raft of adverts for buy one, get one free offers and that kind of thing. And of course, as Ashley said, you don't have to be a medical professional to be able to offer Botox and fillers. So I think it's important actually to speak to one of these practitioners who's offering treatments and does not have a medical background and find out what they think. On the line now is Rochelle York, founder of Portobello Aesthetics and an injector. Rochelle, thank you so much for finding the time to talk to us. You run your own aesthetics clinic in West London. Can you tell us a bit about what it is that you offer there? What kind of treatments do you do? So we offer non-invasive injectable treatments, alternative to surgery, shall we say. So is that like Botox and fillers? So we do Botox, fillers, but we also do non-surgical BBL, which is very popular in Minnell Clinic. What's what's BBL? Brazilian bum lift. Wow. How how do you do that non-surgically? So it's done with a needle cannula. So it's an injection technique. So where there is quite a high risk, with normal BBLs, they've become quite popular because there's a lot less risk. There's always a risk, but there is a lot less risk. Can you just talk me through that? What do you inject and exactly where do you inject it? So it's it's hyaluronic acid filler, it's dermal filler, and it's Mm. injected sort of above the muscle because the muscles are quite deep in the glutes. It's injected quite high up in the fat layer. And that gives the impression of a sort of lifted... Bigger bum. It gives a lifted and more rounded bum. And we tend to have a lot of ladies that that are quite conscious of the hip dips and of the sort of ageing, sagging areas. So that's quite lifting for them. Interesting. And Rochelle, you're not a medical professional, is that right? I'm not yet, no. Okay. So what's your, what are your qualifications? So I've been in the beauty industry for uh, over 20 years. I've trained in aesthetics nearly five years ago and I work in healthcare as a senior nursing assistant at the moment and I'm just about to start uni to be a midwife. Oh, wow. Oh, congrats. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you. And so when you qualify as a midwife, are you going to still be doing the aesthetic stuff on the side? I am. I will be splitting it with my daughter, who also works there. But I will be still doing it because of the, quite honestly, because of the income. You just can't match the income. Mm. So can I ask, if you offer Botox or botulinum toxin injections of some kind, where do you get it from? Because it's prescription only. There are certain prescribers that obviously can prescribe to medics only as their insurance purposes will cover them for medics only. But there are prescribers that are covered from non-medics. So you can still get it, but you will have to pay a fee. And I find some people can actually be a bit extortionate with the prices because we are non-medics. So for instance, to give you an idea, I got a quote from a new prescriber about just over a week ago for two bottles of botulinum toxin and that was for 50 units which is normally around 90 pounds per bottle 
And with her fees and everything included, it totaled to 696. Wow. Wow. And so this is a doctor in the UK or overseas? Doctor in the UK, it is allowed for them to prescribe to non-prescribers. It's just that they will charge... They some some of them won't, but some of them will charge over the hill just for the fact that you're non-medic. And Rochelle, what would you say to people that say this is you're injecting something into somebody's face? This should only be performed really by a medical professional. What would you say to that? In all honesty, I, I don't think there is a very definite medic non-medic divide in the in the whole aesthetic industry. And I have worked with professionals who don't know how to handle a needle, which is actually what it all comes down to. It comes down to whether you can manage a complication, whether you have the knowledge, and what you do if something goes wrong. That's the core of it, really, is what you do if something goes wrong. But if you can't actually handle a needle or or inject correctly or know your knowledge of facial muscles and arteries, etc., then you're not going to be good at your job regardless of your background. How many injections do you do in a week? Hundreds? Thousands? At the moment, because I am working two jobs, it's lesser, but I probably do a good couple of hundred, yeah. So, I mean, in, in a year you would do... Many, many. It's a very, very big industry. Yeah, we see people for everything. And you think that the experience that you have injecting yeah. is kind of enough and is just as much as somebody with a medical qualification who's maybe been to medical school, you think that makes you just as able to do the job? Well, myself personally, I've done... I'm sort of halfway to the medical side of things because I have trained in to a certain level so far but the truth of the matter is that there's a confusion that people believe that because medics are medical they are taught aesthetics and must know it offhand they do the course the same way as we do the course it's an additional course for anyone so they go into it just as blind as we do and they learn the same techniques and the same procedures as we do there is nothing different about a medic except for them maybe have a deeper knowledge of the anatomy but then to be honest your anatomy and physiology you have to have to train in in the aesthetics industry anyway whether you're medical or medic and you also have to train in that course for that anyway on that day so you need to know the specific muscles you're injecting or the the arteries that are going to be near to where you're injecting and what to do if you want to know where your needle is in that site because you can't see your needle under the skin so there are certain techniques and procedures you have to follow to know where the tip of your needle is that you're going to be injecting safely. I don't doubt what you're saying but do you not think that having a standard of a medical qualification for somebody offering these treatments would mean that people who didn't know what they're doing would be discouraged? No, I don't agree because what you said there is people that don't know what they're doing. So what I would strongly stress is that a medic or a non-medic doesn't know what they're doing until they train. So they both have to go to the same training course. So me, myself, I did anatomy and physiology and spa therapy. I had to pass it and it was endless hours of anatomy and physiology. And they do that in biology. So it's the same, but it's just in a different field. I do feel there's a bit of a stigma against beauty therapists, and there definitely was 20 years ago when I trained, that it was kind of like the bimbo thing you did if you didn't get through school and you kind of just did beauty therapy. But at the end of the day, the way that anybody that I even work with in the hospital, some of them have no clue about aesthetics or even what some of these things are to talk about, let alone to do. They would have to book on a course the same way as I would 
to train in something because that's how it is. It's not something that's an overall degree partnership. Rochelle, would you welcome greater restrictions on the cosmetics industry? Yes, I would. Because, again, I I think the core of this whole argument isn't the medic nor medic thing. It's the core of it is how much knowledge you have, how much experience you have before being allowed out on your own, and whether you're going to hit dangerous ground and be able to manage complications. You can have a great, fantastic skill, which many of these injectors do. But if you don't know what to do if something goes wrong or why it might have gone wrong, then you cannot fix it. And that's the problem where, you know, it's the same as if someone writes a review. Not very many people tend to have an incentive to write a great review, but they'll quickly write a negative one. And the problem is in this industry that we're getting a lot of these complications flagged up, flagged up. But I think if they regulated that it was mandatory for complications to be integrated into the courses for a start, because I know a lot of people that don't do that. You have to pay for that additionally. So if that was mandatory, that would be one decent regulation that was there. Also, as you were saying about prescription-only medications, if hyaluronidase, which is the filler dissolver, would be available to people off of prescription, I think a lot of these practitioners would not swerve this prescription fee or these extortionate fees for non-medics to have these POM, prescription-only medications. Do you have access to hyaluronidase? Everybody has access if they have a prescriber that can prescribe to a non-medic, yeah. And just for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, if you inject fillers into the face and a problem occurs where the bit of gel blocks a key blood vessel, you can inject this other substance to dissolve the gel. And that's why it's a vital bit of kit for anyone to inject. But this is a prescription medicine only. But you're saying that you make sure you always have it. Is that is that right? You should always have that and you should always have either adrenaline or an EpiPen because some people may be allergic. I've never seen it. I've never seen anyone allergic to filler as of yet or lidocaine, to be honest. Maybe I'm very lucky, but I haven't seen it. But they should have those three things. They should have an emergency kit to hand and they should know how to use it. I have to say I do confidence days sometimes with people that are medics and I am a non-medic and they have no problem with that. And some of them don't even know how to mix up hyaluronidase because it's not something they use in their everyday medical career. It's a separate qualification in itself. Interesting. Well, Rochelle, look, we're really grateful that you've come on and explained everything to us. So thank you. That's all right. Thank you. So you can see why people who have looked into coming up with licences and better regulations have run into problems because you have people who have been doing injections and, and giving these kinds of treatments for years and years and by the sounds of it from our last interviewee is actually really quite good and knows her stuff. You know, I went to a lecture at a plastic surgery conference years ago in which a surgeon stood up and said the exact same thing about having a crash cart ready and knowing how to use it. And in fact, he mentioned all the same things that Rochelle mentioned. So I wouldn't say that she sounded like she didn't know what she was talking about. No, of course not. Should she have her licence taken away or should she be prohibited from practising because she's not medically qualified, as she says? It's interesting what she said about the prescriber charging an awful lot more for non-medics compared to medics. I well, mean, that's something to look into, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And who are these doctors charging people 600 quid for a vial Who Botox? are these prescribers that are sat, presumably, Pro- in an office somewhere? Doctors handing out private prescriptions in that way very bizarre I I mean indeed like I know that you don't have to have any sort of 
obviously a license or papers or anything to carry out even cosmetic surgery. Well, that's not quite true. That you you need to have a medical. Apart, yeah, so you have you to, to be have a, a, you need to a be a doctor, doctor but, but you don't it. have to. Yeah, so you can be a medical professional. And that's it. But go on to, you know, give someone a facelift. Yeah, exactly. You have people who've uh, trained as just a general doctor, Mm. giving people extremely complicated nose jobs and blah, 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 for the first time ever. And it goes horribly wrong. And of course, Uh, yeah, what you're saying is a medical degree is no guarantee of of competence. Exactly. So you need to have something over and above that. Which would bring us back to the idea that, you know, perhaps it's the procedures itself that should carry the special licence and that you need to have a specific qualification or certain procedures shouldn't be allowed at all. They need to be tougher on things like thread lifts, which are clearly nuts. I'm interested in the idea that we should stop focusing on procedures at all and the patients who want to have these procedures and actually start thinking about why it is that so many people feel that they need to change the way that they look and go to such drastic measures. Well, exactly, that is the other question. What, why are people in their droves trying to change their appearance? Well, we have someone on the line right now who very much is interested in this idea. LBC presenter and mental health campaigner Natasha Devon joins us now. Natasha, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. We're discussing today cosmetic surgery and cosmetic injectables and whether the government is right to crack down on the industry. They're looking at coming up with some kind of licence that would stop people who are unqualified from offering these types of procedures. But you have a more interesting question to ask as You know, why are so many young people looking to drastically alter their appearance? What's fueling this desire? And I just wondered what your opinion was on the whole thing. Yeah, I think that is a a more interesting question because so often when we're having discussions about cosmetic procedures, we bring it down to the individual. And particularly as a woman, you just can't win. If you naturally match the beauty paradigm, then people assume that you're stupid. If you spend money trying to achieve the beauty paradigm, you're ridiculed. And if you don't, you're called ugly. So these are your choices as, as women. But what we can do is we can take a step back and look at the choices that people are making in a more zoomed out way and look at what those patterns in behavior tell us about the society that we're living in. And certainly with young people, a lot of what I see is anxiety and perfectionism. And the way that manifests itself is in an obsession around academic performance, but also around how they look. And in particular, wanting to match up to the version of themselves that they have curated for social media. Social media is a big thing in this, isn't it? You know, the cosmetic practitioners all advertise on social media. and But more than that, people are constantly taking pictures and videos of themselves and looking at themselves on social media, which must have something to do with it. I think it does. And also, it's interesting to note how it shifts. And I talk to young people about this a lot because I've been talking about body image in schools now for a really long time time since 2008 so that's almost a decade and a half and you can literally see how there's these moments where a beauty paradigm will be in the zeitgeist and then it will disappear again so whether it's a thigh gap that's considered aspirational or whether it's big lips you know whatever it it happens to be but if we chase whatever's considered beautiful in that one moment in history we're chasing it forever because the goalposts always move so this idea that you can just have a couple of procedures and then I'll 
I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied. This is a, a myth that people buy into and it, it ultimately ends up being a, a massive waste of their time and energy. Do you think things are getting w- worse, for, especially for young people? Do you think young people's self-confidence and body image is, is getting worse since you've been doing this? That's a really good question because I don't know how you measure that. All I see is is differences in trends. I don't see that the overall level of anxiety, particularly amongst girls, has got measurably worse. I just see that that anxiety is manifesting in different ways. And so if, if you take, for example, when I was a teenager in the 90s, there was a lot of anxiety around wanting to be thin. Now the beauty paradigm has shifted and it's thin with bits stuck on, which is a natural body shape that no one is born with. It, and it's even harder to achieve. So that that beauty paradigm is even, even narrower. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that there is growing awareness among young people, though, that this type of look is unachievable or unrealistic? I, I like to think that the younger generation are getting kind of savvier. Yes, we often see what I would call a disconnect between head and heart Um, but it's actually I think more accurately a disconnect between what we understand cognitively and what we feel unconsciously because most of the young people I speak to know that images have been digitally altered they know that some of the behaviors that they're engaging in aren't particularly healthy but they still feel that they want to try and chase those beauty paradigms because they exist in a in a culture and and now that that's been compounded by having an online life as well where they're getting those messages so relentlessly and so consistently that they almost absorb it by osmosis what do you think about filters what do i think about filters i think what would be a good way forward is if we had to declare when a filter had been used <laughs> Well, I know sometimes on, on TikTok, they, they will flag up when a filter has been used. But I noticed that some people seem to manage to sidestep that. Haven't they introduced that, that on Instagram? That's it. I think so. Thing. I think so. Just for listeners who don't don't realise what this is, a filter is a computer enhanced, almost a mask that goes over your face. So it kind of perfects the way you look. And it's very imperceptible at times. So it might even out your eyes. So your face is perfectly symmetrical. And it gives and it's a, incredibly subtle. It's incredibly subtle. And I mean, I, I admit when you scroll through them and you use them and, and look at yourself, I mean, you often you do look better. It's disturbing. Mm. It's really disturbing. Mm. And I can just imagine if I was growing up with all of that, you know, what that would have done Distorts to my... your idea of reality. Yeah. And that's the thing. It is when we were growing up, we were perhaps competing against our peers or against people on television or in magazines. What young people are in competition with now is an idealized version of themselves. And they're not just photoshopping themselves physically. They will airbrush out any part of themselves that they don't think other people will like. So aspects of their personality as well. And what that that almost avatar of themselves then gets is validation. But validation isn't the same as recognition. So validation is like junk food. Recognition is, is nourishing. But validation can feel the same as recognition in in the moment and it's very very addictive so those likes and those comments it becomes this cycle of wanting more and more Mm. and what you're saying it seems to speak to this idea that social media is is really to blame at the moment do you think that's true or is there are there other factors that are making young people feel this way 
I mean, social media is full of people. So in some ways, it does exacerbate the issues, but in other ways, it, it simply reflects them back at us. And I think we're past a point now where we can talk about whether or not the world would be better if social media didn't exist. It's here. It's here to stay. We're not going to get that genie back in the bottle. But what we can do is teach young people how to be digital citizens. And that's definitely where my work is concentrated. And part of it when it comes to body image is encouraging them to follow a diverse range of people who look different from one another because the evidence does show that the more diverse range of bodies we see, the happier we feel about our own body. And I think Instagram and social media in general can be quite good for that. I mean, when, when I was, I grew up at the same time as you, Natasha, and, you know, back then we had images like Brad Pitt in Fight Club as this kind of ideal man's body. And it was, you know, I mean, it was one film where he was shot from very specific angles while he was holding his body in a very certain way. But everyone wanted that certain look, that Brad Pitt type look, which was totally impossible, even for Brad Pitt, probably. But nowadays on social media, you do get a much more diverse selection. And I would say since I've been looking at Instagram, I've, I've felt more comfortable, not because, you know, of, say, plus size people or, you know, minus size people, but just seeing more normal people. And it certainly influenced modelling and, and such like that we, we have a, a lot more kind of, you know, models with eye bags now and you don't feel the need to kind of airbrush your eye bags out. Not that I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we live in the attention economy now, which means that our, our attention, our engagement, our clicks is the new currency. So we can vote for the kind of content that we would like to see. So if you want to see more models with eye bags, that's who you should follow. That's who you should like. You know, that counts. Yeah, absolutely. So it could be a force for good as long as we try to find ways to improve people's self-worth as well. Yeah, it, it depends on how you use it. It's like anything. It, it can be good or bad depending on how you use it. Kind of going back to our original discussion, would you welcome extra restrictions on cosmetic treatments? I definitely think in terms of giving people access to safe cosmetic treatments, I think that's really important because we, we do know that there are people out there who don't have necessarily qualifications that allow them to do these what are really quite invasive procedures in a safe way and they can be botched and that can have health implications for people. So I, I think... I would welcome that as a good thing. What I don't think we should be doing is judging individuals for the choices that they make with their body because it's our body, our choice. And, you know, our body's the only thing we'll ever have that we truly own. So therefore, it, it should be our choice what we do with it. Can't argue with that. Natasha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Natasha. Thanks for having me. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. So go on, Eve, tell me, if you could have anything done, what would you have done? I can't say it live on air. (laughs) Oh, of course, because you, you even went to a clinic that did... Because uh, of my undercover. In, no, well, oh, well, yes, you, you went undercover and had your hooters Sorry? <laughs> attached. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, I, I went undercover to clinics to see if they would give me a breast augmentation and what, what, ha- what happened when I inquired about one. But they gave you a sort of vest with big giant boobs yes, on, so like, a bit like a Gaza kind of comedy stag party. Well, no, of. they give you, <laughs> they, they don't, they give you a um, chicken fillets basically to put right. inside your bra to see how much of a lift and enhancement you would like. And uh, yeah, they kept telling me to make them a bit bigger. Um, <laughs> and I how did you feel? Ridiculous. And really? I felt ridiculous but the thing that did strike me was one of the clinics that I went to they started off very subtle and uh, even though I sort of objectively thought oh this just doesn't look like you there was a part of me that felt you know they're saying you've got this patient advisor who's saying you look womanly you look brilliant and that you could probably do with just a little bit more shape and you start to believe yeah okay maybe I do need a little bit more shape and maybe I this is an improvement obviously I showed pictures to my other half who laughed so <laughs> I knew that, that, that it would a vote, be a big mistake. Vote for no. Exactly. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. One of the first articles I ever wrote years ago when I was in my early 20s, my editor at the Express at the time sent me around all the clinics on Harley Street to uh, see how many things they could o- offer me in one day. And I was offered 25 grand's worth of treatment. I went in saying, oh, you know, I feel a bit unconfident and tired. I mean, when I was 24 or whatever it was, I was pretty skinny and, mm. you know, not in need of much. I mean, I was offered liposuction and calf implants. Wow. I've, I've never, my self-consciousness about my lacking of calves oh, has never recovered. That's actually, funnily enough, one of the reporters that did the investigation with me went in asking for a boob job and was told, had she considered liposuction and she came out really upset thinking gosh do I need liposuction it does open a kind of Pandora's box and I imagine like what Ashley was saying being in that industry must be really toxic because you're constantly thinking about what you could do to improve yourself still I do come back to thinking that it is positive to have cosmetic surgery and treatments and all these kinds of things that it's it's not a negative thing that they exist it's just the application of those things that mm. needs to be done so carefully mm. because they are life-changing procedures. Absolutely. And it's true there is a parallel issue with self-worth and the more that we can do to encourage building up people's self-worth that doesn't involve validation from being told you're good-looking, the better. Mm. And the more ways we can find to feel better about ourselves you know, and not judge ourselves for the way we look or, you know, our our golden star achievements or, you know, being mm. top of the class type things. And it's difficult because at the same time, people who are excellent and good looking are prized and praised. And, you know, most of us are pretty average. I mean, not you, Eve. I was about to say, I know it's very tough Award winning, award winning. Good looking and absolutely. Others of us can just <laughs> hope to emulate. And on that note... <laughs> That's all we've got time for this week. You can find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all the content on MailPlus. Oh, and follow us on Twitter by searching at MailPlus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.